0: On behalf of the V'ad, the Anhola, of Kinyin Mesechta, I'd like to welcome you to the largest gathering so far that Kenyam Mesechta has ever had. B'Zhoshem Halavai Vaiter, next year, Biushalayim. It's a tremendous schos, and it's not easy to get to, and I don't say this lightly, even though they're obviously make a face when I say it, Tugadoli Oylem that are probably the least accessible and yet make themselves so accessible, so available to call Yisrael. And if you had to ask for two people to be on a panel to ask questions, adapting Torah Ashkofer to today, these are the two individuals that we'd like to have up here. So it's a tremendous success to have Reverend Lapiansky, Rabbi Re- Yosef Elephant, to grace us and to be able to answer the questions that some, so many of you have asked, and even the ones who didn't email in definitely have on our minds. HaKadosh Bench, both you, continue. This past Shabbos, I spent with the Kenyan Mishpacha of the Russian Chabura. I could say, without exaggeration, I don't know Definitely not a recent memory I've ever experienced such a Shabbos like this. It was a Shabbos of epic proportion in all ways. But one thing which I understood, which I realized, is that we're not talking about another Mised, we're not talking about another organization. We're talking about a new era. We're talking about an ability, through Kenya Mesechta, to uplift, to bring out that which the Torah is supposed to be doing for all of Klal Yisrael whether it's someone who was disconnected, slightly connected, or a full-fledged Ben Teirah, a Masmid, kenya is there to bring out more and to develop a new connection, a new relationship with the Taira. To the point we heard already from a few Rabbanim that they suggested before any couple is concerned, the nervous they're going into, perhaps maybe even looking before, thinking about a get, first be part of a kenyan, and then we'll talk if it's still Negei. That's the level of the dveik is to see in reality of where things are holding. What kinyamesechta has done, call Yisrael at large. So even though there's some of these questions people might think pretty standard, pretty basic, I believe why it's extra special, and I'm asking the panelists to have this, keep this in mind, is because the same way when someone's new to Yiddishkeit, everything is—they're not sure. How do we adapt this? We're concerned about this. Every single individual, which means every single family unit that's involved in Kenya Mesechta, has changed, has grown, has developed new sensitivities to Dvekis BaShem and the Torah. And therefore, that which their feelings were beforehand towards the Torah, now have changed. And therefore, perhaps the way we had our home and the different priorities that we've had in our lives hopefully have changed. And therefore, we're concerned and we're not sure. And as the world has only gone progressively worse in society, how do we adapt, how do we connect? How does our lives as being a member of Kinyam which means a member of Torah, always looking to grow and uplift ourselves, how does that coincide and has that jive with the world at large? So I'd like to start at first, try to keep things moving and understand, perhaps throughout the question, if things are not un- under- self-understood, We'll try to bring out some more specific examples. As a disclaimer, none of these questions are mine, but it's really a uh, brought together and a more generalized version of what so many of you have asked. How can we properly balance our responsibilities to our spouse and families while maintaining the proper responsibilities to work and to Ruchnius? For example, My kids are getting older, and whereas in the past, my wife and I could complete the bedtime routine by 8.30 p.m., that doesn't work anymore. Sometimes, a kid needs help with homework, my wife had a difficult day, or any number of factors. By not going to learn, I can help create a peaceful bedtime atmosphere instead of a very taxing bedtime for my wife if I leave to learn. Sometimes, everybody would have been better off if I had gone to learn. I think we could all relate and understand would like to start
1: like all these type of questions they're very individual we'll try to make I'll try to draw some column that I think are important the first thing is just like uh, a diet and food there could be different emphasis on different foods for different people but at the end of the day everyone needs of each type vitamin mineral etc any type of rearrangement where there is no learning, no davening with a minion, no helping with the children, no helping your wife, is, is fatally flawed. So any type of arrangement we'll make that will cut something out totally is, going, is, is dead on arrival. So it's always a question of how to balance different things, but cutting out something is not a solution ever. The, um, it, the uh, arrangements should be made, I think, together. Um, husband and wife both got married with a certain understanding of the type of bentore you want, the type of life you want. And if they, came with, if they were coming with a similar goal in life, then they'll reach similar conclusions. Uh, If it's unthinkable not to have a say then it's unthinkable for the husband and the wife. If it's unthinkable that a wife be staggering under a load that can't be handled, it's unthinkable for the husband as well. So working out things together is important. Um, I would suggest rethinking some things. A person makes a list of what he does during the week. Maybe some things have to give. Uh, Maybe some things that were thought to be critical are not so critical. Everyone has the things they enjoy and everyone has the things they like doing but when you make a list of what's important um, being there for your wife and children and learning are both central. I want to add another point. The learning piece, Baruch Hashem, we're in the right place. What Kenyan Masechda has done, what the, 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 these programs, the Vaharav and the Kenyan programs have done is given a chios in learning, successful it gives a chios. It's it's, every mitzvah takes on the sense of obligation and duty. If there's nothing feeding the engine, then it sputters out. If a person stops learning in a way that gives a chiyas, then everything begins to dry out, including helping your wife and children. So the learning, and especially the type of learning that the Ulam here has gotten into, which is, is remarkable, is something that we need to understand, as the fuel that drives the engine, we need to think creatively. Maybe early morning seder instead of a late evening seder. Maybe something else around. But understanding, A, the cheshivas of this learning, with a Habur together, with geshmak, with chiyos, with, with knowing, and understanding that every piece has to fit into the puzzle, should be the guiding factors in making those decisions.
2: Obviously, I don't have too much to add on. I would just stress two things, to restress what was just said. In the question, the question, the nusach of the question was how can we properly balance our responsibilities, spouse, families, while maintaining the proper responsibilities to work and to rochonius. We have rochonius, work, spouse, families. And um, I think that the, the wording of the question needs to be adjusted. Everything is rochonius no clash between rochaniyas and work and rochaniyas and family and rochaniyas and spouse. Everything is rochaniyas. Your spouse is rochaniyas and your work is rochaniyas and your learning is rochaniyas and your davening is rochaniyas and you're putting the kids to the bedtime is rochaniyas. Everything is Hashem. And uh, once we accept that, because there are many times where, there are countless times where we get questions of a clash between needs. Okay, it's my needs, your needs, is rochaniyas and then there's gashmiyas, and then there's Family needs. There's no clash. Everything means that the, the harmony of, of Jewish life encompasses everything. So the nafkamina the of what I'm saying and, and being a little bit of a nudnik about the nusach of the question is that let's say you decide that you're going to spend extra time putting the kids to bed because the question came from a man because your wife needs it. But the huge Nafkamina is am I doing a Bidyevid and am I doing a favor? Generally when the I didn't realize there were gonna be women over here, but I'll just say a secret that generally when the men do a favor, they extract the price afterwards. That um I mean the truth is that when a man helps bchal, even to put the children to bed once, that's a chhoiv that can never it can really never be paid back. That's the truth. <laughs> we all know that. And um the main point, I think, behind this question of the, the, the tremendous needs that we have, I don't want to use the word pressures, we have tremendous needs in our lives, and there are this carpool they forgot to mention in the question, by the way, and uh, the message behind the issue is that everything is rochneos, so you're not doing a favor, tunishkin you're not doing a favor for anybody, and if it's the right thing to do, then do it, and if it's not the right thing to do, then don't do it. But don't do favors. And that goes on both sides of the spouses. You're not doing favors, everything is avoidance Hashem, and either it's right or it's wrong. And I always tell people that if this is the right thing to do, then it's lechatchila, don't extract the price plus interest. Their interests have gone up, and um, it becomes very, very tedious. That's A. B is, I want to restress stress what Meireinu or Sheshiva just said. I can't stress it enough. And it's the need for dialogue between spouses on these issues. Um, it's incredible how many people come with these types of questions and you ask them, Did you talk it out? No, we didn't. So everyone, you know, goes into their bunker, I have my needs and you have your needs. And with a very simple discussion, like the Roshiva said, that both both spouses want a house of Torah, and both spouses want the kids to go to sleep. Okay? By the way, equally important. And a good dialogue works it out and everybody The main point is that we are all for the same purpose and for the same joint effort and no bitty efforts. The damage in these issues begins when I'm doing you a favor and letting you go learn. The The word letting is not a word that applies in a marriage. I don't let you learn and I don't let you go play baseball and I don't let you... Help me and go shopping. That's not, that's, not, that's not appropriate for a marriage. Certainly not a marriage of Kenyan Misakhta. Not, not that level, people. We don't let. A marriage of Kenyan Misakhta is a marriage where we work in harmony towards a joint goal together. Of Hashem. We don't live Bidi Evid. Kenyan is not Bidi Evid. is you learn Misakhta Sukkah once. People who learn Misakhta Sukkah 40, 40 times don't learn Bidi lives. And either you're doing it or don't do it at all. And that's, I think, the eights the, the behind this question. Remember.
0: I guess really coming from, uh, from there, once we're trying to find that everything is Taka part of Aveda HaShem, and we're looking for the L'Chad khila, especially with the crowd in front of us. So it leads us to number two. How can a wife gauge when it is responsible for her to work, to bring in the our family needs, and when it's the right time to cut down on her work hours to take care of the children? That is, uh, she, which is really they, achieve that, uh, that proper balance? What were some of the factors that they should take into consideration in order to make that decision?
1: First of all, I think this question should be um, focused on the husband. The husband is the one who is responsible for Parnassah and Baruch Hashem war Zeicha that um, many people enable us to sit on for many years, but Believe it or not, if you bother to read the Ksuba, it says that you're a As somebody once said, there's a reason why it's written Aramaic so people don't understand it. <laughs> um, you, you, you are the Chrys. And a side note, it, it's something I actually was speaking to a young man now, very harsh. A young, young man just got married a few months ago, really, a very wife. Uh, really, uh, people are very serious. But he was talking about a certain akuda, and I said, A you bear. You and many of us that we can we can be Nana from stay but the Achryas of at what point Maybe he should bring a parnassa, It's his Achryas one two a Lot of times it's an issue that is helpful to have a rough Rebbe figure that you're close to because there's, there's so much involved and again both sides want to maximize the learning. Both sides realize there's a limit to how much you can tax stress and so on. Someone who's who is close enough to be able to say, you know, for Hashem, things are, are still okay. You know, if you feel up to it, it's still right to continue. Or, you know, it's it's a point where you need to start um, thinking about how to take a rise. It's ex- for people that are seriously tired and they need to make a decision like this. It, it, you're very involved. Everyone is stressed. Everyone is under a lot of tension. But it's also the actual Torah. So having someone that you can turn to, and it's one of, I believe, um, the unfortunate downsides of our door. But Baruch Hashem, there's a rebu of Safsalim, and there's nowhere. The rebu of Safsalim, Baruch Hashem, the lian is exponential. The rebu of Rebbeim is maybe, maybe linear, maybe not. And very few Rebbeim have the type of input, like Rabbi Elephant, who's here for, for Talmidim. It's an, it's, an incredible, it, it's an incredible type of interaction. I've spoken to many people who said, their Rebbeim said, you are of yeshiva, we are not available. It, it, it's one of the things, really, that I believe we need to do, because decisions like this need the help of somebody who understands you and your family situation, and helps you to make a, a, a good decision on that.
2: I think the, the question that was sent in had two parts to it. One part, which is when should a person go to work in general and take over from the wife's uh, earning pranosa. And I think this is a general question over here. In general, even if the husband has gone to work, but today in many situations there's a need for a second salary and second income. Uh, I, I remember I once met a Yid, he told me that the Me'etzes Gedele had just voted that they were mate, cheyem der Beiner Gershom because they needed a second income in the younger life. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, the, there's an issue in general that even if the husband is bringing an income, a second income, I would say that that question depends on A, what's the atmosphere in the home? Are the children's fundamental needs being met? And what's more important is that the tool with which to deal with the question of should a wife work versus the kids' needs, having said that the kids if the kids' needs are being met fundamentally, it hasn't yet been proven that, the, I'm gonna say something controversial, but I have any gears to it because my wife works for 35 years, but um, I'm not sure it's been proven that the stay-at-home mothers necessarily have turned out better. Kids are not, it's a, it's an, it's a topic which is up for argument, which we didn't gather here for today, okay? It's an interesting um, controversial topic. I'm not sure the rest of you agrees with me, but it's, uh, it's, that's, that's a question, but if we get beyond that issue, okay? of a lady who is working, how much should she work? So obviously, the children have to be taken care of. My wife has a, my wife has an accounting firm where she doesn't allow any of the married ladies work past three o'clock or 2.30. I'm not exactly sure where it's holding. I'm not so involved. They have to be home by three o'clock with their wives, okay? It's the only accounting firm in the world that closes at three, okay? If you want, I'll give out cards afterwards. <laughs> the, the, the point is is that of course, you have to be home for the kids. There's, not, there's no question about it. It has to be a good atmosphere. If a mother is working and she's tense and she's tired and she's strung up the whole time, then she can't do it. The main point is, it has to be dealt with within the tool of his stables. The same way we understand that a guy who lives in, in Lakewood is not going to fly to San Francisco and he has a family of little kids and be home once a week for Shabbos like he's some poorish learning in Kelm, is likewise, if a lady can't work and the kids need to be taken care of, the tool that needs to be dealt with Is that if the children's needs are being taken care of, it's fine, and if they're not, then that's the regular rules of hachtav, like in every other parnasa situation.
0: Today, the words "just love them," besides just being a book, and uh, in different forms, catered to different uh, ages. People have different ways of translating. What exactly does that mean? The words "deep," "meaningful" relationships are that we bandy about all over the place. The question is, what does that mean in reality? What are ideas to build deep, meaningful relationships with our children? And what can we do that relays that message to our children that we really love them and care about them the way you're disposed
1: to? I'd like to share something personal. Um, my parents were survivors. My father was an old person, relatively old person. Um, he had had a wife and children in litter, and they were killed and started a second family. and Myself, and my brother, were, were born. He was a shamus in a shul. Um, you know, we, the income was extremely moderate. I, I had no idea what, but it was, we didn't, we grew up in a place where there wasn't much happening in spending-wise, so on Lower East Side, everyone had the same apartment, and everyone had the same clothing, so it wasn't much different. But the one thing that I vividly remember is very often, my father would take us, or me, or my brother, and go for a walk in the evening, and schmooze. My father spoke to us like adults, and I, th- this, is, this is what I remember. This is the uh, Gan that I remember. And when I think back about it, this is, relating means time, attention, focus. I saw once someone wrote an article in the Hebrew I said many years ago, he said that he he came from America. He took his kids for a trip to Israel, and at the end of the trip, he asked every kid what they liked the best. And he had I don't know, eight nine kids can Each one had a different answer, and it puzzled him. You expect you know four or five would like this, four or five would like this. One would be an outlier. What are you like? So he couldn't he couldn't figure it out until he realized he had made up that he's taking each kid alone for a trip someplace and, he, um, and this, each one liked that trip the best. There is nothing like the kesher, when it's you and the child. Unfortunately today, we, we're busy texting while we're talking to our child, and hopefully not many more things, and that is not a kesher. It's just like I remember when, when I still thought that I'm competent, I used to try to glue things together. And the first instruction was the surface has to be clean and nothing else, just the glue. Um, if there's something else, it doesn't work. So having time with your child, where it's you and the child alone relaxed, talking about things that are good for him, but not a chinuch session. If you're sitting down, a sheer in Hilchis is not, a child doesn't accept it. A child wants to you. My father spoke to me like an adult. I don't know if that was his personality, if his, but his, he, we walked and he talked about, people remembered about Slabotka, about Kovna, about Yeshiva, about different people, and things like that. And, and those are things that, that sunk in, because they were. there's nobody more important, more precious to a child than a father figure, and, and there's nothing more than having that time together. So if you want that time telling a child, I love, I love, I love, if, if you're busy doing something else while you're doing it, and I don't know, Siri is the one that tells the child I love. By the way, you know, you can program Siri to say, I love you, child. It's, it's worthless. Who's Siri? Who's Siri? <laughs> she, she's a rabbit that lives in a phone. One of the ambassadors, in yeshiva, he told me, this was a few years ago, his, his granddaughter came home, and she said, you know, they said, she heard that no one knows where his k'vur is, why don't they ask Siri? It's a, it's a true story. The, but Al-Khapanim, not having just time together where you're with the child. Pick the level of conversation that the child wants. Make sure the conversation has content to it, meaning, value. Chinuch will come automatically. If the things you're speaking are appropriate, and good, and pleasant, and genuine to you, that is
2: a Kesha. I, mean, I was just looking at the question again. What are ideas to build deep, meaningful relationships with our children? And what can we do to relay the messages that we really love? When I saw the question, I was thinking about my parents Sounds like a cliche. My father survived the Holocaust. And he had very moderate So far, we're the same. I was thinking, I don't know, so, so what did my parents do? They didn't come to this panel. So how did they, I'm not sure they knew what deep, meaningful relationships with children meant. So how did our parents give over the fact that we knew they loved them? The door that we grew up, they didn't say that much. Well, say the understatement. But everybody knew they loved them, by the way. You know something? Nobody in my class went off the Derich in Tariq common. comments 50 years ago. Nobody. So I think it's what well, my parents do. They didn't come to Kenya and They didn't have it then. They didn't come to the panel, so they didn't have any ideas for deep, meaningful relationships with their children. I'm going to tell you how I understand. The Rosh said the common denominator between his father and my father was that they spent their whole lives basically talking about the shtetl they came from. Mm-hmm. That's true. And it's very important. But I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I think. You know, I took a poll. I, I say a, a schmooze in a Karel and Sefer on Thursday evenings. I took a poll there. We're talking about um, 200 Chosh of Israeli Yungalite. If you want to know their level of Yiddishkeit, they have the top button closed. Okay? So, you haven't got the idea. Okay? And, and um, I took a poll there one week. And I asked them, tell me, how many of you? We're talking about the, the real McCoys, okay? And I asked them, tell me, how many of you believe that you are the Iker Hashpa on your children or the moistest yeshivas that you send your kids to? That's the Iker Hashpa. To my great dismay and distraughtness, Kite, 80% raise their hands that they believe the moistest of Bessiankov, chadorim yeshivas have more Hashpa. This isn't Kirat Sefer in the ghetto, okay? They believe that 80% raise their hands, okay? They raise their hand that they believe that they don't have the Iker Hashpa on their children, I made a And by the way, I've asked other people, and most people agree. That's the truth. Now, our parents, Alayam <laughs> Hashalom, not only did they look at themselves as the Iker hashpah in our lives, but they weren't gaires any other hashpah. They didn't allow any other hashpah. They wouldn't let anybody step foot into the areas of hashpah we were allowed to go to and to frameworks that were outside the house of to go check such a thing. Who, what, when, where are you going, what's going on over there? Now we knew that, that our parents knew that we're the Iker, And they are the Icker force in their lives. Now since their entire lives, you know, I read the biographies of Oshiva's parents. Our parents lived only for their kids. And since they lived only for their kids, because they understood that this hashpah that the world doesn't know about today was their Iker Tafkid in life, we knew that. And that's how we had deep, meaningful relationships with our parents. Because our parents looked, and here's the of Shach. If you don't look at your children as your Iker Tafkid in life, then we can't answer the question about deep, meaningful relationships. And if you look at your tough kid in life as being mashpia on your kids, their values, they know. Kids have antennas before God created CAT scans and MRIs. Children know exactly whether you look at them as the center of your life or you're just a pain in the neck of question number one of who's putting them to sleep so we can get on with our lives. The world that we grew up in, am I exaggerating? What? I'm not exaggerating. The world that we grew up in, we weren't just the apple of our parents' eyes. It was a whole life. They didn't live for anything else. They didn't take vacations, they didn't live in the It was extreme, okay? It would have been good if they would have gone on vacation over the east side. <laughs> what? Would have been good. Yeah, they went up to Washington Heights, yeah. He went, Washington Heights. yeah. <laughs> he went over to Williamsburg Bridge to visit the Barakwe was. like a geshach, your Our parents lived for the children. They understood that this hashpa, if you live like that, the kids know. Then you don't need all types of panels to get all types of deep, meaningful relationship with the kids. Because our parents lived only for the children. The kids knew that. So there was, it wasn't negotiable, it wasn't even a Shiloh. It doesn't mean the world was perfect that we grew up in. Far from that. But this fundamental thing, there was no need for panels in those years. Because the kids knew our, our parents, Alem HaSholem, lived only for their kids. They didn't have any other agenda in their lives. And, and um, the kids knew that. Something, something switched over there. The fact that this keeps coming up in all these gatherings means that the kids don't know. So we're looking for artificial ways of convincing them, no, no, we do love you. I, I stick with my monoshoch, uh, I,
1: I think it is a very important topic. And I, I want to add a, another point or two um, about living for your children. First of all, there were words that my parent, my father used that I don't hear today. A big accomplishment was a vexel yiddish stub and deiris. That was a, a, a Kaddish baruch who made it that the sum total of our lives is the next star. That's one point. I want to add a second point, and this is, and, and I think this is a critical point. When we think of for our children, um, we think he should be the best bachar and the biggest and greatest yeshiva. Fill in the blank itself, but uh, that's what it is. That is not a Yiddish Ashkafa. And it's not a hashkafa that will, will sit deep in a child. It's just another way of having a, a label. The idea that your values are emes and erlich and right and good, that you want a child to grow up and to express and embody those values, if those are your real feelings and this is, and this is your real aspiration, I assure you this will be the core of the emetzius. Every single person can be that. The best bach and the best yeshiva can be one. Assuming there's one best yeshiva and one best bach. By definition, grammar, it can't be more than one best. And it's meaningless. What what does that mean? But if if we understand the deep values we appreciate, a deep emes, a deep ehrlichkeit, a deep genuineness, then that's something that every single child can bring it out. And that's the sum total of our lives is
2: the next star, embodying those values. I just want to add on one more sentence. This is Rashi. It says, I love him, Rashi says. The man of Shi'itzav is born of Achor of Lachas with the Hashem. means that loves Avramovino. So That's Rashi says. One would expect that Koshboku loves Avramavinu because he brought Amunna to the world. One would expect that Koshboku loves Avramavinu because he did Chasid to the world. It doesn't say that. loved Avramovino. Because he brought up another door, and I'm going to say this: I'm going to be mezaka the Rashiv and say that we both live very public lives, okay, for good or for worse. Too bad for the tibor, that at least as far as I'm concerned. But you should know that the ikuzach that's on our minds 24 hours a day, with all due respect to the tzibor, is our children, our grandchildren, and we, we see that as our ikra tafket. I was sitting with a very big Rosh Hashiva a few months ago, and I told him at the end, I said, hey, can you about 10 different things? And I said to him, Rosh Hashiva, you know, the Iker your wife and kids. He said to me, very I said, who says? I said, it's a Pasek. A Pasek by Avram very nice, and Amun is gavaldic. Well, the is born That's our Iker Tavkinah life. I said this in Kiryat Sefer. They wanted to stone me. They said, the Iker in life is to learn, not to bring up your kids. I said, it says not like that. There's the
0: we can understand that it's uh, not a contradiction, Baruch Hashem. Uh, anyone who needs seats, there's plenty of seats still uh, up front. As someone walks in, you can just direct them here to the front. I, I also grew up in the Lower East Side, but uh, from a little bit of a different dar. So I can relate to the following question. I'm afraid after what we just heard, the next question uh, might appear a bit uh, ludicrous. But uh, we still need to know the answers to this. How can we find a healthy balance between giving to your children and setting limits so they learn that they can have what they want, even though it's easy to get? I'm not sure if uh, in Ramach Shlomo or in uh, Silver Springs they're aware of the present crisis facing Klai that a certain brand-name sweatshirt is, uh, you can't be uh, gotten anywhere. And this is an absolute crisis. A parent had said recently who uh, was so happy that for Hanukkah their children just asked for a simple sweatshirt So they went online to order it, and they realized that it was more than they were planning on spending on the entire family. So, for example, it became extremely common in some communities for elementary and high school kids to want expensive designer clothing that could range from an astonishing $325 to $550 per sweatshirt, and coats that start at a whopping $750 for eighth graders. The kids come home from school saying that their whole class has it, And when I'm at the school for carpool, I see hundreds of kids, probably 95% of them, walking around in this designer outerwear. This is true for girls and boys. Similar pressures apply to midwinter vacations that have turned into trips into Florida at a minimum, and Cancun is rapidly becoming the norm from from family. How does someone navigate these pressures without making their kids feel unloved or unheard?
1: I would love to visit this community. First of all, um, I think when deciding which community to live in, the most important thing is the ruach of the community. And if this is the ruach of the community, you really need to ask yourself if this is where you want to live. Um, one of the nice things about most places out of town is the modesty of what people feel is appropriate. So probably one of the most important things to think about a community is, do you feel the lifestyle is the lifestyle that um, you want to raise your children in? If the answer is no, there is no way you're going to be different than everybody else. So making that decision, A, which town, and even in the same town you got different communities, a, a child will naturally pick up his general surroundings as the norm. And making the decision which community as long as there's a good yeshiva, a decent chinuch, and so on, the lifestyle is the most pervasive influence that the community has. So this is a really hard decision to make. It's usually those communities have houses that are not so nice, not so big, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, having those values in place because of all the learning, a kid will go to yeshiva, he'll go to good yeshiva, he'll learn the the life, the expect, what he expects in terms of lifestyle. That Sviva does it. And therefore, selecting a place that you feel those values are in tune with what you think should be an Aleph, a real priority before anything else. Two, um, going to the part of the question about a, a child feeling about giving and withholding, Kreshperchuk created the world with two meters. He said, gracious, he oyer. He said, ye Kia." And it says, Rashi says, the rakia kept stretching. Told Kachbaruch said, die. Kachbaruch was goer and said, die. It teaches us that the world exists because of what the Sheva Kachbaruch gives and the restraint he puts around it. If 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 a person, um, if, if if a person or any other balchai doesn't have enough to eat, there's not enough substance, it dies if you keep stuffing it until it explodes, it also dies. The shefa, meaning the substance and the boundaries, are equally important having something viable. And a child growing up and a person living his life, if a person lives his life, the, the, the no's of life, the, the, the what's not, is as important in shaping a life as the yeses. Very few people committed suicide when they didn't have enough to live on. Unfortunately, the opposite is true, where people just had too much and no sense of gvullis. Gvul is life-giving. If you see a child that doesn't have what to eat, the child is it, it, it's very pitiful. If a child, you see, doesn't know what to do with himself, so I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, and there's no gvul set, the child is as miserable and as wretched as the child that doesn't have what to eat. The only difference is that the child doesn't want to eat, someone can be at Rahim and give him something to eat. It's very hard to bring him and a child and give him a patch. They would arrest you for that. But, but if, an outsider. But, but in understanding gavulahs, and for your own life, it's not a question of, I have enough money. The question is, does my life have a tzura to it? The, 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 the fa- yes, I can buy ten bowls of soup, but, but, but there's a kvul. A, the music of Gvul is as fundamental to the Bria as Shefa. And living your own life like that, when you don't do everything you can, and a child learns, you make decisions, there is absolutely nothing wrong and everything possible about telling a child, we can't afford to have this. So if you can't afford anything that the community has, as I said, you shouldn't be living there. You shouldn't be living in a place that you're stressed out to keep up. If you have to find a place you're comfortable with. But saying occasionally, we have to choose between this and this. Somebody recently came to me. Their son is learning in Yeshiva in Etzisrael. He's a kid in high school. was okay, but he's not Nishiva. Yeshiva. But in Yeshiva is learning in Yisrael. has been learning for years, doing well. It, it's a lot of, let's call them, high-maintenance kids. And they spend money. They fly to Europe. They eat in the fancy restaurants. But they, they're doing, Yeshiva does good work getting the Bachram into, into learning and doing well. And this kid demands money, and, and the family can't afford it. They're spending money. Not talking about tuition, is is up here that they have to pay. But spending money, in, in, in spending money that, that that, that it's, it, that's getting close to a salary, and they said the kid, the, the rabbiem said the kid needs or whatever. I told them, kids mature. Sit down and tell them we have some options. We can switch to yeshiva that Bachram have. They learn just as well but have less fun. You can work in the summer and earn money. We can we cannot send your sister to seminary because you need the money. Or I can take out a loan and figure out how to pay it back. What would you like? So let the kid face those. Let, there's nothing wrong. Is there something to be embarrassed? This person is a clay Kodesh, actually, the father. He has to be embarrassed that I don't make as much as someone else. It's, 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 it's something to be proud of. These are my limits. Take it. Make a decision. You, you're an adult. Make a decision. Money, it, limits of money should be a factor, and it should be proud of it. We can afford this or this. And this is what our Kodesh Baruch gave us. Sameach bechelko, sneers, those are values that have not to do with learning. Uh, unfortunately, part of our message in Yeshiva was that the reason to be tzernuwa, bechelko, is you to' be able to, have to sit long, uh, uh, long and learn. So it's true, if you want to sit long and learn, you, you need to be a little more tzernuwa. But it's a value, it's a value on its own right. And teaching a child, there's a gvul to what he does. You don't buy everything your eyes see. You make decisions. And, and understand this is as important and as vital to your child as what you do give. You can't force a child to live like, like, uh, like he's coming from Bam when he's living in some place that's far from You have to choose a community, and teaching a child boundaries, limits, living it yourself, and teaching it, is, is a core message of the Eshi Tzavah's basic.
2: I, I just want to be machazik. What the Roshiva said a few Nikudas. Number one is, and and then I'm going to say something at the end, which 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 contradicts what I'm going to say. First of all, I was very. We had numusogim in. kind of start off, we had we had numusogim in Gashmias today over here in Kenya Misachta. That um, the maximum Gashmias is ten bowls of soup, and um, we. It's important for the Eilim to understand that. Uh, There's still people who talk like that, and that's the music of of a mega amount of Gashmias. 11. 11. Few things. Number one, this is a very complex issue which really requires uh, an entire session to deal with it. I want to say a few quick Rashi Prokrim. Number one, people who give their kids more than what they need are denying their children the fundamental experience of feeling that the parents are taking care of them. Um, in the world that we grew up in, there's a big fight between the Haimish Eden and the American Eden. you give allowances to kids? It's a huge dilemma. The Americanish and the Litvaks believe in giving allowances. The Haimish Eden said that we'll give you what you need and not a penny more. If you need it, we'll get it, and if not, not. The same thing applied to working. The Litvaks sent their kids to work, and they let them work. the Hamish Eden said, if you need it, we'll buy it, and if you don't need it, then you're not gonna buy it yourself. The fundamental experience of providing a child with what they need is something which creates the bond that we've been talking about today. Now, if you give the kid an endless amount more than the kid needs, it's like Aesop said, I have too much. That pechina denies the child the experience that somebody's taking care of him because he has this ATM that's just flooding him with all types of things that the, or him or her that they don't need. So the fundamental hierarchy of parents is taking care of children is completely denied. That whole experience and that whole connection and that whole dependency is missed out completely. That's A. B is, when you don't know how to say no to your children, you're sending them a message that you're weak. And what's absorbed subconsciously in their system is, is that the parents are people that we can't rely on because if they can be pushed over by some little pipsqueak, who with Sacher Cole wants a ridiculous sweatshirt for a ridiculous amount of money in a ridiculous neighborhood. So the kid absorbs that sub, subconsciously that these parents will not be there for me when I need them because they're not reliable, they're not steady, they're not anchors, they're not stable. They can't stand up to any sort of Nisayan. And the message that we send to our children when we're not able to say no, is that we're weak, unreliable, and not there for them. And the children, by the way, absorb the message, God's fine, they got the idea that there's nobody home, because if they can push over the kid with one line of everybody in the class has it, and the father pulls out, the he goes to the gmach, like the Roshiva said, to, to buy the sweatshirt, so then the kid knows that there's nobody home, and in a moment of, 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 inse- of real insecurity, a real danger, a real dependency, there's nobody there to rely on. So first of all, we're denying the experience of taking care Second of all, we're sending a message of weakness, which what children need from us is an anchor. The third message we're saying, which Roshiva spoke about, Beremez, is that we don't have any message. The main idea of a child getting out of the home is that we believe in something. If we don't have boundaries, we don't have a house, and we have nothing to believe in, we have no ideals. If everything is negotiable, so we're sending a message to the child that we don't have any ideals in life. So beyond the heft so that the child doesn't have ideals, the child doesn't have anything to connect to, to belong to. What gives a child a sense of identity is the belonging to the hierarchy of a house. It has to be a house, a house is not just a dorm. It has to be a house, if there's a message in the house, and there's boundaries, and there's limits, and there's therefore ideals. I always say a, a, a pun. If you don't take a stand, then you don't stand for anything. If if you never take a stand on anything, then the house has no values. Now, a house that has no values, the children have nothing to belong to. What do those to belong to? To supper? To, to chalamoyi trips? That's part of an experience, but... A sense of identity comes from belonging to a house that believes in something. Now, when there's no boundaries, there's no ideals, you don't take a stand on anything, so you don't stand for anything, and there's nobody to, nothing to connect to. Children grow up without identity, they're just floating around in space. Now, so we have these two radical rabbis, one from Amat more, like I said, and even much further away from Jewish society, the Silver Springs, and um, we're busy saying that you shouldn't buy anything, so here I'm gonna say the opposite. Hey, you know, not everyone can pick themselves and move out of Jackson and Thomas River. Some people are stuck there, okay? So, or Muncie, or Five Towns, or Bar Park, or Flapbush, or wherever they're selling these ridiculous sweatshirts, okay? Oh, yeah. Sean says in Flatbush there's no sweatshirts for 550, so we're going to the This is the problem. You can't say no to everything. And I would say that the red line for parents is I spoke to my baby many times about these types of questions, and I said this over the weekend, many people you can say no because of all the reasons that we just said till now these critical ideological reasons of giving a sense of identity and security to our children until bitterness the child's bitter we lost the battle, and then we have to deal with it differently, and it's very very important to be able to identify when the child is bitter. Now, in order to be able to get away with saying no and making boundaries, you have to have a house. House means shalom bias, happy, warm, loving place. You cannot tell your child, I'm not buying you this sweatshirt, if you're in today's world, if your shalom bias is not impeccable. And today, because the societal pressures have become exponential, there's a new mechayev to redo, rebuild, renew refresh, strengthen our shalom bias, that the house should be a contra, the house should be a option to be able to stand up to society. You can't say no if you don't have anything behind you.
0: We're gonna to jump to the last question right now. There will be a last minion for Mincha right before Shkia in about uh, six minutes. So we have the final uh, few minutes uh, remaining over here. Afterwards, everyone will be going to the reception, the women will exit through that door, and the men will go up uh, the way they, uh, they walked in. As parents, we always back the Maesid, according to the questioner. Uh, How do we deal with a situation when we feel that a Rebbe Maura teacher, ma'isid is not handling a situation correctly, even after we spoke to them? How do we guide our child while maintaining the child's respect for the Rebbe Maura teacher or Maesid? within that we could get a, uh, maybe a closing message as well that would be helpful.
1: A ch- let's, um, I spoke once for parents in the school by us and I told them that a child is hardwired in the, final, in the, in the following way. He learns to ultimate trust of his parents. He's born that way. It's the first people he knows, and he sees the world through that lens. The only reason why a child is mekabel from a rebbe is because the parents said that this is a rebbe. They know what they're saying. This is a good place. This is chashev, and so on. But the bottom line is the most trust. This is what Ramban says. Why the, the the why the of Ovis, of of Harsinai goes through ofestavka? Because that's our bedrock. The first the first ones who told us what's right, what's wrong. Sometimes a child tears away from home, uh, mostly mostly an adolescent, and and stays torn away. But by and large, the normal bin is like that. If a parent contravenes a school directly. I, this is what I told the parents, then it's a mechartos on your tuition. You're not getting anything for your money. Because everything that he has in the Rebbe, he is discounting, and worse, it's feeding a certain cynicism. So if you say that the Rebbe is stupid, the Rebbe is insensitive, the Rebbe doesn't know, doesn't understand, the child um is, everything else is wasted. Haval. If you're seriously so, so let's if if you have serious reservations about things that don't, are going on in school, the way the rebbeim or the hanhola deals with it, it's time to think of another school. Keeping a kid in the school with the message is they don't know what they're talking about, is 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 a and it's a churm. What what more happens more usually is that there is one particular issue, one particular instance that you have halukidays. It's important that the message the child has to get, you can't tell them something you don't believe, but you can say in society, entire society, there is a, a, final, um, a final moment, a final person that we have to look up to, there's authority. We acquiesce to the Rav, we acquiesce to the Rebbe. And even if we don't understand, the Rebbe is the posig. That's a message you can give. But, Boyfriend Clawley, your support for the, for, for the Rebbe and the Moisid is critical in the child growing further.
2: Uh, um, I, I want to end off with a question. I am a Talmud of the Rosh which is, by the way, I should have apologized in the beginning, but I speaking together with him, but uh, the brochure said we was speaking. Sorry. Uh, I mean it, brother, I'm not joking. I want to, I want to ask a question, and I want to. ask what Rav Shiva says, because I have a dilemma. We're talking about the question was, we feel that a rebbe teacher was not handling the situation correctly. We don't want an event happened. Is it the end of the world to tell a child that nobody's perfect, and a rebbe can make a mistake? Could parents make mistakes? Could a rav make a mistake? Could a rebbe make a mistake? Um, we have parents. Could a parent make a mistake? Is a parent allowed to say I made a mistake? In other words. What's the end of the world if we tell a child that the Rebbe made a mistake? We're not closing down the school, you're not leaving the school, nothing happened, he's a human being. It could be he made an error in judgment, it could be he didn't have time to understand the situation, it could be he's a human being. The Rebbe made a mistake and nothing happened. You're going to meet up in life with people who are great people. One of the first limudim when I was a young that my Rebbeim taught me was that nobody's perfect, and even Gdele Olam can make mistakes, they're human beings. And a Rebbe can make a mistake, and a Moorah can make a mistake, and that doesn't mean that you're leaving the school, and it doesn't mean that you're rebelling. I, I, I would say something from this week's Parsha. Klai is called Yehudim. Or, uh, Chazal say, not ruve not Shem, not Levi Yehuda. There's Targum Yenison and the Medjish Rabbah. Because Yehuda said, "Sotkomi Now, it always bothers me. Uh, Tamar was about to be burned with two of Yehuda's kids. One of the incredible stories in the Torah. And the Torah says that because he said tzot we're called Yehudah, it means, it's funny, we're named after such an interesting story, we admitted that he's right, she's right, my two kids are being burned, right? And Klayusel's named after that. It's very hard to say that somebody, it's very hard to say I made a mistake, you know that? It's hard to say, Klayusel's named after Yehuda because he admitted they made a mistake, that's a big event. So we're allowed to say that somebody made a mistake, and you go fight through in life, except the fact that a Rebbe is, the Rebbe is Kadesh Kadashim, and we trust him, and you're going back to man. you're going to learn tire from him, and the Menal, and the Rebbe. But he made a mistake, and Loka we live in this crazy world where the minute, the minute that something is wrong, the person is bottled. That's what I want to ask from Shiva. Maybe we can stop that. A guy made a mistake, he went weiter. I, I know I live in fear, by the way. We, we're both public figures. We make a mistake, we're done.
1: I'm not sure that a child, it, you know, it, it's, first of all, when parents and teachers and rebbeim don't see eye to eye, it's very emotional. I would say a better way to phrase it is whether we understand or not. I, I, in other words, of course, it's possible. Everyone's fallible. We don't believe in infallibility. But the attitude is, that when you go ask a shaila, you go at a pesach unless it's a with of our mishnah. You say, you know what? We may not understand it, but he's the rebbe, and we'll accept his pesach. So the child understands. I don't have. What, to... But
2: what? what uh, uh, the yeah. What happens if it's vadi The guy made a mistake. He did. He did an owl in a class. He mistreated a boker. He didn't. He. You, the rabbi came in nervous that day. We both. We get nervous sometimes. And uh, and the, and it, he mistreated the boy.
1: It's, you can say that also. You could. But I, I. I just. I would hesitate to use the word branding the mistake, because I know that that's, I would say. I don't know. It, it, it's very hard to judge these things, but we accept the PSAC, and that's what we do in this context. In general, it's something that we, we do need in life to learn to accept a psaq din, a bez din. I don't have to rethink, uh, unless, it, again, if it's a situation where something terrible was done in a way that's, that's outrageous, there's time to move. But in general, I, I would stay more towards saying it's, it's difficult. Tell the child, in these situations, it's difficult to know exactly what he, why, did, why he felt like that. But whatever it is, we'll go with it. That's my personal tendency. The Roshiva
2: caught me in a terrible bind on the one hand because your mama is one of my rebellion that I owe a lot to, so Revi- I, can't, said, I can't disagree.
1: Because I, 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 the fee I, I, what you I, I,
2: said, I'm not to say you're wrong. Revi- so I, we'll, I think we'll end it like that and let them First, go to Menechah. Uh, okay. It's a real
1: dilemma.
0: Good, okay. Everyone, for affording us <laughs> this gewaltig opportunity. Reception upstairs for all.